What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a new episode of the Antler Up podcast. And on today's episode, Dimitri and I sit down and have a conversation with Dana Monroe. You can catch Dana doing all things archery and hunting related over at Kafaru International. We had a blast chatting with her about how and why she started shooting a bow and really got into hunting. And we also talked about some Kafaru gear, what she's doing at all of the total archery events with the iron rhino and some western and some whitetail hunts we dove into a bunch of different things such a fun episode to record thank you dana for coming on greatly appreciate it sit back and enjoy this episode till next time antler up and before we get into the episode i want to thank a few of our partners and our first one up is going to be shea butler knives shea makes custom everyday carry knives with the rhino and the pursuit and his ranger and whitetail knives are amazing for anything but especially out in the field and he has a brand new one the featherlight coming out this week shea's creativity high quality materials and in functionality with unique designs precise leather work make his products last a lifetime check him out over at shea butler knives com onyx is the number one hunting app and uh, hunting app and turkey season has finally kicked off here in pa and one of our favorite features of the onyx app is the offline maps no service no problem save your offline maps before you head out and no matter where you are you'll be able to use those maps exactly to know where you're at also don't forget if you sign up with the elite membership you get exclusive member benefits from top rut exo mountain gear vortex and much more so go download the number one hunting app at onyxmaps.com and before we get into it real quick make sure those of you that are going to be in the philly area next weekend which would be may 15th we have the tethered event over at clover reach clover leaf archery club uh, the event is free from noon to six make sure you sign up that way we know how much food to get uh if you're looking to try some saddle gear and uh want to just see what's going on with tethered check it out sign it up it's free see you then check it out tethernation.com all right everybody so we are live back for another episode of the antler up podcast and we are joined on the other line with dana monroe from kafaru dana how are you I'm good. How are you? Oh, wonderful. So you uh, had a very eventful uh, past couple of weeks, not only with tax starting <laughs> to roll up, but I saw that uh, you were in paradise there for a couple of days, huh? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I am dreaming of going back. <laughs> you have some, uh, some fresh meat in the freezer too, huh? Yes. Yep. I can't, I haven't had time to to have any of it yet because i've been gone for work <laughs> that's awesome well we'll get into a little bit about what you know talking a little bit about that uh but before we do dana you know obviously like we said in the beginning introducing you uh everybody that has been that knows who kafaru is knows who dana monroe is uh, but for people that don't know you know talk a little bit about who you are where you're coming from and uh kind of go from there okay um so, like you said, I work for uh, Kafaro International. I'm, I've kind of bounced around a little bit. I started in customer service, and now I handle most of the marketing stuff. And you see my face on like social media a lot. I'll do a lot of the videos and, and stuff like that. Um, as far as hunting and all of that, I didn't, I didn't ever really grow up hunting. Um, I was exposed to it, but didn't really have any interest in it Okay. and kind of just fell into bow hunting. I, I really, I just saw it on Instagram 
decided it would be cool to go shoot a boat and shot a boat and was hooked from the first shot. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool to hear. I hope, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people kind of seems like when you hear a lot of individuals that are, you know, kind of newer to, to hunting or bow hunting in general, they always say that first shot gets them hooked just because <laughs> it's just, you know, it's a, it's a different experience. And we've talked about it on our, on this podcast where for Dimitri and I, where we've said, uh, you know, my first archery, you know, kill was like my most memorable hunt that I think I've ever had just because it's that first time, uh, being in the heat of the moment and, uh, you know, did not feel my legs up in a tree stand. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> it's just, it's just an awesome opportunity and, and experience to, to be in. And, uh, that's, that's awesome. So first time shooting a bow, you're kind of hooked and, you know, where, uh, who, who exposed that, um, opportunity to you? Um, so I, I actually just went to, um, an outdoor expo. I was living in Salt Lake at the time. Okay. And I went to the Western Hunt Expo mm-hmm. and they had, they had a little booth. Hoyt had a booth for like children to shoot the bows. And, <laughs> and I asked if, if they would let me shoot one. So the jaw length was way short. It didn't fit me at all, but, but it was still just, it had me hooked. That's awesome. Now, when you first, first shot that bow and, and knew you wanted to get into archery, do you think hunting was ever something that you'd be interested in? Or, or was it kind of something where you thought, you know, pick up this bow, just shoot some uh, target and, and see where it goes from there? Uh, I, I was definitely interested in it. I didn't know if I was ever actually going to be able to, you know, to take the life of an animal. And I, I had discussions with my mom before that. And, and she asked, you know, are you going to be able to actually kill an animal? And I was like, well, you know, I guess we'll see. And, <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely not, there's, you know, there's, there's kind of like a reverence to it. I don't know. And, you know, most bow hunters kind of understand that, but it's not, you know, it's not just killing, it's, yeah. it's hunting and it's, you know, a goal and you work so hard for that. So it's such an accomplishment. Nice. Now to lead up into that, just because I know how much, you know, practice goes into anybody that, that is usually hunts and, uh, and really kind of lives this lifestyle. How long were you shooting before you went on your first hunt? Ooh. I mean, um, I mean, you don't have to like be like, Oh, it was four months, but you know what I mean? Like, was it like, did you practice a lot and like really, you know, want, like, did you make a goal for yourself in a sense? Um, kind of. I, so I didn't go on like my first hunt with a bow. I took a rifle just to, you know, because I knew that would be easier. It wouldn't be as like intimate. I didn't have to get as close. So that was kind of like my dip in the water with the whole hunting thing. And then on my first bow hunt, I was definitely very practiced at that point. And I had done a lot of things like I had done the alpha bow hunting class, which was, which had opened my eyes to so many things that, you know, I had never thought about before as I was getting ready for hunting. Um, and so that helped prepare me probably the the best uh, over anything else. And then just lots of reps, lots of shooting, lots of targets, all of that. Now, 
since you started kind of just getting into the the target side of archery and then later on getting into the hunting aspect you know what would you say there's some things that you maybe you learned or that you did in that transition into hunting um, maybe that you didn't know quite then but now that you're more experienced in hunting that really helped you kind of break through that that next uh, level of expertise needed um, to make some ethical shots in, in archery um, I think, I think the biggest thing was just that I'm never going to have, like, it's never going to be the perfect opportunity. So, you know, you may be on an incline or you may be standing in rocks or just have to quickly get the shot off. So I think all of the different situations were really, um, that, that was kind of like a smack in the face to me <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> And distance too, kind of depending on what animal you're hunting. Well, geez, that shot that you made uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I mean, I'm assuming it was a couple weeks ago, maybe it was last week uh, down in, in Hawaii, <laughs> was a pretty impressive shot. How far of a shot was that one? Uh, that was about 42 yards. Yeah, that was nice. And the wind was crazy and everything. You held a steady bow and phenomenal job. Congrats <laughs> on that one, Dana. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, That was awesome. Good for you. Well, I, uh, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, how you worked your way up and doing what you're doing with Kafaru. Uh, I, I mean, obviously you've seen from some of the posts that I've made and, uh, have some, the striker XL and uh, a bunch of other gear from Kafaru. And, uh, I, I love it. Uh, we've, I've used, uh, actually I, I started using Kafaru this past whitetail season uh, and you know, just from word of mouth and some of my friends that really trust and have been using Kufaru for a long time and, you know, made a, a believer out of me just because of the quality and just what you guys stand for as a, as a company and what you represent. So it's, it's awesome to have someone on from Kufaru, but, uh, what do you think really st stands out from, uh, from one brand to another from, from Kufaru? Um, I mean, first of all, I'd probably say the whole, you know, the whole made in America thing with 100% American made components, because, yeah. you know, a lot of companies they'll have, it'll, they'll throw a, a little tag on there that says made in America, but it, it could have been sewn or, um, you know, actually made somewhere else. And then they ship it back to the U S and they do some sort of final assembly and then coin that as made in America. Yeah. Uh, we are, you know, 100% made in America and you can, you can tell once, once you get your hands on the product, <laughs> that it's just, it, it's next level. And people, you know, people look at the price tag and just scoff at that, but you get what you pay for. And if you want something that is going to go through every possible situation and survive, then, then Kafaru is your, your thing. Yeah, what's the motto? Like cry once or something like that? Like <laughs> buy once, cry once. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, there you go. No, I, no, you're you're one hundred percent right. And you know, kinda since we're on the topic, I guess we could kind of just like you know, blast through the whole Kafaru stuff like now and then we could kinda pick up and continue with, with, with Dana Monroe. Uh but what uh you could kind of address, I know Aaron just posted a, a video talking about lead time because I know that was like when I had my first order, 
Uh, you're like, oh man, is it going to be here in time and all that type of stuff. Uh, but like you said, yeah. everything is handmade, like in, in your warehouse, it's not being shipped out from anywhere. So that's another thing too. Like it's, you know, you are supporting a, you know, American made, uh, company brand and, yeah. uh, you know, so, you know, what is the, the lead time and kind of just talk a little bit about that for just anybody that's possibly looking. I know, you know, here we are in May already and early season, uh, elk hunting and mule deer hunting is going to be here before we know it. Yeah. Yeah. This, I mean, the year's flown by, I, I can't believe it's already May. It's, it's kind of the last few weeks have just been kind of like a blur, <laughs> but, um, uh, I don't, I don't really know. I don't have a whole lot to do with this since I'm kind of on the road a lot of the time, mm-hmm. but I do know we're really working to get to where we're shipping products out within, you know, five to seven days, uh, from the place, from the, the date of the order. And there's, we've been taking a lot of steps in that direction We're we're not quite there yet. And we're, we're really making a lot of improvements as far as all the shipping goes. It's, you know, when our shipping is up, uh, our production is having a difficult time keeping up with shipping stuff so quickly. And then, you know, production is up. It's, it's kind of like a vicious cycle, like production's doing well, shipping's not doing so great, but if shipping's doing great, production's a little low. So it's, we've, we've been doing a lot to really put ourselves in a, in a better position. So we're not having such extended lead times and, and that's, so production has been, and COVID, you know, production yeah. has just been struggling a little bit to keep up with the demand. Yeah, no, I don't know if I've just been lucky, but uh, as far as when I ordered my, uh, the striker uh, before hunting season, for the date that you gave me was the date that everything came. So I think it was like, you know, ship, <laughs> ship, shipping in three to four weeks and boom, it was shipped in three to four weeks, which, you know, that's your crazy busy time. Uh, which was, I yeah. believe, like August, beginning of August. And then, oh yeah, you know, the, I would say I've owned now the hip quiver for you know, <laughs> only the past two weeks, but that only took like a week to get here. So it's been, I've, you know, it's awesome. And I appreciate it. And like you said, it, the, my word, the way I would de- describe Kafaru is like how you said, when your hand, like you put your hands on it, it's just different. <laughs> it's just yeah. different than whatever, everything yeah. else is out there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you talked about being on the road and everything. So what, what do you have going on? I, you know, just, I know you're at TAC and you're just on some hunt. So what, what's happening? Yeah. So, so the last few weeks, um, the total archery challenge, uh, tour has kicked off and that started, um, a few weeks ago in San Antonio. So I headed down there for that. And I actually participated in the black rifle, uh, adaptive athlete, the veteran adaptive athlete shoot. Yeah. And that was, oh my gosh, like that was one of the most incredible things I've ever experienced. Did you get a chance to shoot with uh, junior? Isaac Almond Jr. Um, yeah, yeah, I did actually. Nice. He's, I love that kid. He's, <laughs> he's great. Uh, both Almonds are really great. Him and his dad. And and so I, I got to do that the the Thursday before the total archery event started. And then we went through the total archery event that weekend. Uh, drove back to Denver from Texas. Um, I was home for I think a day, and then I flew out to Maui to go on a hunting trip and uh, flew back home the next day, jumped on a plane out to Tennessee for another total archery challenge event and got home 
a couple of days ago. Nice. <laughs> now, yeah. <laughs> now, what, what do you normally do to prepare for something like TAC? You know, we're, we're about a month away from the PA TAC here. Um, so we've been kind of gearing up with our shooting and, and, and really trying to dial in our bows to get prepared for that. Now, what are some things that you're doing <laughs> that you can recommend for others to get, get prepared? I know you probably don't have as much time as you would like to shoot your bow, uh, before these events, yeah. but, um, you know, any tips or suggestions you can give people that are going to, uh, some of these shoots? Um, so I'm more familiar with the Western events. Um, I had never been to to any of the Eastern events until this year, last year, Texas and Tennessee were canceled. So I didn't get to attend those and Pennsylvania will be the first time I'm, I'm heading out there, but really uh, the biggest thing I could say uh, is just practicing um, at distance and making sure, you know, making sure you can shoot not on level ground, like make sure, make sure your third axis is on because there could be a lot of, you know, steep angles, um, you may be shooting off the side of a hill, the side of a slope. So it's really important that your bubble is on. So you're actually hitting the target and, you know, you're not completely missing it. Um, but the what the ones uh, out out west, they're probably a little bit more difficult as far as the, the terrain goes. Mm-hmm. So definitely like really good shoes and girls wear pants. <laughs> Don't wear shorts because you might destroy your legs and boots and kind of like kind of like you're out there hunting you know practice like you play and that's that's kind of my take on it and just making sure my my setup is really dialed and you know my sight tape's on everything's hitting correctly and that I have plenty of arrows now you talked about practicing for distance before you going out the tack and you know that's something you know that we kind of really started incorporating into our practice last year because we were going out to utah for our first western trip and we knew that you know distance was going to be a thing that we might have to encounter so we really dove into stretching our our, our range out when we were um in the backyard now how do you recommend because sometimes i wonder when i'm out there you know a lot of people start at like 20 yards right and then they back up to whatever distance they want to want to get to but then sometimes you know by you get to 70 70 yards and you're pretty tired right so you're shooting at a a further distance uh with a little bit of more muscle fatigue um you know and then i wonder should i should i start at a distance um but i'm maybe not quite warmed up yet uh what what do you recommend when when you're practicing at, at some of those further distances um to kind of uh, schedule your, your shooting to make sure you're maximizing uh, some of your practice? So I think it's, it's kind of knowing yourself as a shooter at that point. Um, I know me, I'm, I'm to, to where I, I can't shoot as many arrows in a day as I used to be able to. So I start off like when I go to the range, I typically start off at 40 yards and, you know, shoot a couple to make sure, make sure that that bottom pin's on. I shoot a three pin slider. So I'll make sure that 40's on. And then I, I take a little break. I go out to 50, make sure that that mark on my sight tape is on. I stretch it out to 60, make sure that mark on my sight tape is on. And uh, sometimes from there, I'll go up to 70. Just, just kind of depends. The range out here has uh, a number of different targets set up throughout the year at kind of off yardages. So sometimes I'll shoot those. Those are 
72. Uh, they have some that are really far that I don't typically <laughs> shoot, but um, just kind of making sure everything's on at a level ground. So I know once I step on like on like the side of a hill or at an angle that I'm not, I'm not way off the mark, but if I'm, if I'm not hitting where I'm aiming, then that's probably something I'm doing. And then it's, you know, I have to figure that out versus my equipment setup. Yeah. Well, I know Dudley likes to make those like 113 yard bombs <laughs> on a lying bedded elk. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like cliff shot too, or something like that. So we're, we're yeah. pumped. I, 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 you know, I've, I've seen, uh, some of the images of what Rob, who is the individual who sets up our seven Springs event in, uh, for TAC here in PA. And I saw the other day he posted on his Instagram story, a cliff shot. So there will be a cliff shot, uh, <laughs> which will be pretty fun to do in, in PA and, uh, bust some arrows on, I'm sure. And, uh, we'll, uh, it's just going to be a fun experience. I, Try to, try to win that truck. Yeah, try to win the truck. And then <laughs> as long as Chris B doesn't win it yeah. again this year. <laughs> yeah. How about it? Two yeah, years Yeah, you row. guys need to come shoot the rhino too. I was going to say, I, I was going to say, I know you, ha <laughs> you, you have some uh, giveaways to, to do. So what, what do you have at the booth for uh, attack this year? Uh, so we don't have it at the booth. It's actually over on the side end range, okay. but nice. we've got um, what we're calling the iron rhino. And, uh, we set it at varying distances, but it's it's a large like steel target oh, yeah. with a probably I'd say like a four inch diameter hole. And if if you make it through and actually hit the target, don't bust your arrow, you get entered to win like some really awesome prizes from Kafaru. So it's it's a lot of fun. It's awesome. it's oh my gosh, it's fun. How, how, how many people uh, are uh, what, what's the ratio? <laughs> what's your what's your best guesstimate to uh, what, what the ratio is of busting arrows to to actually hitting some foam? Um, lots and lots of busted arrows. <laughs> uh, I know at some of the events, there's one guy who broke like 15 arrows on it. Oh. Um, <laughs> a couple people. One girl shot. I think it was her ninth shot before she hit the the target another one i, I want to say like 12 I, I don't know a lot of people are spending a lot of money to I, shoot that i, I was just gonna say like <laughs> I, i'm i'm counting like okay 15 busted arrows okay like 15 <laughs> times 15 for me that would be oh man could have just right. bought the pack yourself yeah yeah by that point <laughs> right <laughs> right <laughs> well that's what i love that picture in tennessee that they they posted up of the all those arrows sticking out of that pretty thin diameter tree up yeah. in the air that was pretty awesome yeah yeah it's and that's that's kind of the fun thing about the total archery challenge is it it tests you in ways like i would never shoot those shots actually hunting but it's fun to push your limits and you know stretch them a little bit and see see what you can do because sometimes you'll surprise yourself well like you said too like you know practice like you you know play like you practice like you play uh it's exactly it and there's there are some scenario shots that uh heck even on the locals course of seven springs that when i that was like the course i used to warm up uh, a couple of years ago before yeah. i shot the second course just so you know get familiar you know break uh break the the whole uh, jitters out and uh you know there was some like 43 like you said dana random yardages uh of on yeah. like a white-tailed deer or just you know anything that you're actually going to be hunting uh 
it was actually just a lot of fun to go through just because it gave, gave us some like real life scenarios because it wasn't maybe thicker brush kind of country quote unquote in the woods there on that local course. So it was fun. It was like, Hey man, this is actually like how we hunt here in Pennsylvania. So, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. it gave us some, yeah, some real life situations. Like, yeah. You may not always be able to dial your sight. Like, like yeah. that shot on my goat in Hawaii, I, I wasn't able to dial the sight. So my, my bottom pin is a 40 yard and then it's my slider from there. So when we first came up on him, he was at 40 yards and then he scooped just a little bit and ran up on that hill about two yards past. So I just have to, you know, calculate that. Like as I'm at full draw, I'm like, okay, just hold a little bit high with your 40 pin. So, you know, sometimes you, you have to know your gaps and where you're going to shoot in that situation because you won't always have a, a chance to dial your sight. Well, that's what we talked with Chris from HHA, mm -hmm. you know, because we, we tend to practice of what the exact yardage is, right? So we, we got in the yep. range and maybe we go 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, or, you know, if we are shooting 35, what do we do? We dial our pin rate to 35 or 34. And that's just not real scenario of hunting. You know, like you said, you're going to draw back and, and maybe that deer is going to move slightly and it's not always going to move in five and 10 uh, yards increments so a lot yeah. of times you're going to have to make those adjustments and i think that's the one thing we lack the most of in practicing is is those real scenarios like that and like you said you're, you're not going to make some of these shots in the hunting woods that you would attack but it's really going to prepare you so it's the same thing as shooting real far distances where you may not make that in the hunting woods but when you get up close i mean that it's like when you go from 70 to 20 i mean geez you feel like you're stepping on the target right so when you get <laughs> yeah. into those hunting situations you know and you have a deer well, at 40 yards i mean you're gonna feel like that's a chip shot you know compared to what tack prepared you for in some of those right. uh, further distances yeah yep exactly and then i mean you you it's really just practice for me. And it really points out a lot of your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. So, you know, go back to the drawing board and know what you need to work on uh, back at your local range. And then it's also really good for, for yardage judging. Um, you know, maybe not the 80 to a hundred yard targets, but, but I like to like, when I come up on a target at a 3d range, I like to look at it and, uh, try and judge the yardage before I even pull my rangefinder out just to to try and and better myself in that way if I'm not able to to range an animal while I'm hunting yeah that's all good stuff Dana great stuff um now we're kind of we're gonna keep, continue to piggyback off of total archery challenge and and hunting you know a one thing that I always like to hear is like just, you know, quickly, I'm a health and physical education teacher. Dimitri's a physical therapist. So, you know, fitness is kind of a big deal to both of us, uh, being healthy mm -hmm. and all that stuff. I always hear when I'll talk to individuals like, oh, I got to get, you know, I got to start getting in shape for tack or, <laughs> you know, and the, like not just bow arm, you know, not for being able in shape to dry your bow back, you know, multiple times a day, but like, you know, physical shape to be able to hike up the, the hill and the mountain. You know, how, what does your... Uh, I mean, you're at the advantage of being in Colorado with the altitude, but, uh, what, how, uh, how, how has that changed for you over the past couple of years of getting into hunting and being like, oh, wow, like it's a different style of, of working out or being prepared for a hunt. 
Yeah, it is. Um, so when I first moved out here, I moved out here about four years ago to, to start working at Kafaru. And I had a gym membership. I was a very frequent gym visitor before I moved here. And then when I moved out here, I, I didn't really know people and I just didn't have a lot of desire to go to the gym. So pretty much all I did was backpack cardio. And I felt like I was, you know, very well prepared for for backpack hunting, just just not quite in like the best shape that I could be in. Mm-hmm. And um, last year I, I started doing CrossFit about a year and a half ago and I feel like I'm in great gym shape, but I got so kind of focused on, you know, being at the gym every day that I felt like that kind of hindered my hunting just a little bit because I would, I would go on a hunt and I'm sore from the gym and struggling climbing up the mountain because my legs are sore from doing squats the day before. Um, so now I've really, I've, I've kind of figured out and I, I try to stay as fit as I can through the winter, um, you know, in the gym and hiking when the weather is decent enough to get out and hike. But really like it's this time of year where I'm getting out and doing a lot more backpack cardio in addition to everything I'm doing at the gym to to be as fit as I can because I know that fitness level is going to help me a lot but I need to get the my legs in backpack shape because there is no way that you can prepare for that other than putting a backpack on your back and and just getting out and hiking yeah I mean that's something we've preached to to people and uh, you know, do what you're actually going to be doing out there. You know, it's doing, yeah. a bu- doing a bunch of hang cleans and deadlifts and <laughs> bench presses isn't going to really help you out in the back country. <laughs> no, no, it's not. <laughs> no, that's awesome. No, that's, that's good stuff. Well, you know, let's talk now. Let's kind of, like I said, piggyback off of some things. What was your, uh, this past year hunting, you know, you could obviously, start with, uh, from, you know, last summer into, uh, what lead up into what, what you just did out in Hawaii. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm trying to think I did. So I hunted for elk here in just an over the counter elk in Colorado. Okay. And then, um, I had a rifle cow elk tag here in Colorado and that was kind of a, a different experience cause I haven't hunted with a rifle since, the very first animal I killed oh, okay. probably three years ago. So it, it felt a little foreign to have a rifle in my hands versus a bow. And, and I wasn't successful on that. It was a, just a, it was just kind of a, not a great trip. I wasn't <laughs> quite as prepared as I should have been. And then, um, I went out to Nebraska with, with a friend of mine, Jordan Bud, and, uh, killed a, you know, a, a good to me whitetail buck, probably, you know, not good to some of the Eastern people, but I was over the moon hey, excited any, about any, it. Listen, anytime you get it, <laughs> yeah, we, we, we don't judge on, yeah. on size. Yeah. We don't judge on size as long <laughs> as you have fun. And it, you know, it, it gave you a, a, a size 10 in your, uh, you know, in the heart pumping stage, then it's, it's big enough for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely did that. Heck for yeah. Me. That's was, awesome. I, well, let's dive into awesome. that. Let's dive into that whitetail hunt. Cause like we're, we're whitetail freaks. Like we're the, we're the Western like newbies. We know absolutely nothing but getting our asses <laughs> kicked in Utah <laughs> from a bunch yeah. of, bunch of locals driving on quads. So that's, uh, that's, that's our Western hunting experience. So let's dive into that little bit of whitetail, uh, uh, the hunt. So what was that like? Tell me, cause it was that the first time you hunted whitetail by chance? 
No, no, okay. it, it was the the second time I'd hunted whitetail. So, okay. so I knew a little bit what to expect, but, um, you know, it, it's still new to me and, and all hunting still really new to me. So I'm, I'm just trying to soak up all the information that I can. Yeah. And, and Jordan, she's, I mean, she's a phenomenal hunter. She is just as, as legit as they come. And she's, so I'm just, I'm like trying to learn everything I can from her just watching her and studying her and paying attention to, you know, to what she's talking about and, and the wind and where she's setting me and, um, just everything. But it, it was actually kind of a rough hunt because it, it, it was pretty slow. It was really, really, really cold. And that's one thing that You're not I'm used not to. <laughs> 100% used to because when it gets that humidity in the air, it just like chills me to the bone. And it's like my first whitetail hunt. Um, so it, I went to Wisconsin a couple years ago. Okay. And it, I think when I flew out of Denver, it was nine degrees. And I got to Wisconsin and it was like 36 degrees. But it felt so much colder there because it's that that humid cold. And here in Denver, it, it gets cold, but it's it's the dry cold. So I can handle it a little better. Yeah. Um, but I think the first the first morning it was negative uh, seventeen. Uh, <laughs> so so it was really cold. <laughs> now, what kind of um, what, was, what kind of terrain was that in? Cause you, I know like, like the Nebraska has everything. Nebraska has the, the plains looking, uh, you know, terrain. And it also has the, the normal timber, uh, like whitetail, what we're used to. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, um, it was, it's like Western Nebraska. So it's pretty, it's like river bottom, yep. uh, pretty typical whitetail, nice. uh, scene, not, not really, um, much timber and all of that okay good uh and we we stuck around the river like the river bottom and um hung around there some some cornfields there were still a couple standing cornfields so we were uh using those to our advantage too yeah yeah and it it actually was kind of a rough hunt because i'd gotten down on myself at the beginning and like i remember i was sitting in a blind and i'm like you know what like you're here you're hunting like yes it's hard but hunting is always hard so (laughs) I just kind of had to give myself a little pep talk and (laughs) and once I just like appreciated being there and and hunting and you know not sitting in my office I that's kind of when things changed and that was the night that I killed my buck nice now did you have any expectations going in like this is the certain size I want to look for, or were you going to go for anything that kind of, you know, just got you excited or. <laughs> My, I, I get excited about does. Like I, <laughs> I am not a trophy hunter at all. Like it's, it's probably bad, but I Heck know. No, don't, yeah, it, it's awesome. Good for you. <laughs> I knew for, you know, for, uh, the management of the animals. I didn't want to just shoot anything. Mm-hmm. So I was trying to be, you know, somewhat picky, but, but it's kind of funny. Cause when that buck came in, I looked at him, I was like, Oh, he's too small. And he was about 60 yards away just in the timber. And I, so I didn't get a really good look at him, but he was, he was kind of chasing a doe, not, not full on like on lockdown yet, but he was just kind of, you know, pushing her around the, the timber a little bit. And she walked directly under my stand 
and I would have shot her, but I just, I didn't have a shot because she was literally like directly under my stand. I, I had no shot. Yeah. So I was getting ready to shoot her and then she ran off and he came just perfect distance for me, like gave me the most perfect shot opportunity he could. And as soon as I saw his antlers a little bit better, I, I decided he was a Is decent it? size to... <laughs> To kill, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, what do you think? Uh, uh, so you said you were hunting out of the stand then? Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, how, how do you like that compared to like going out there and, and, you know, hunting on the ground and chasing, you know, elk and all that type of stuff? It's, I don't know. I, I like it, but it's, it's a little difficult. It's a little boring. It, it's a really nice. <laughs> it can get really boring, <laughs> but it's really, it's kind of nice to, you know, to, hike my ass off in September here and then go sit in a tree stand in October and, you know, not struggle. (laughs) But, but then it's hard because you can't go, like if you see something 80 to a hundred yards away, you can't go make something happen. You, you have to have the animal walk in within distance. So it's, you can't make anything happen. You have to kind of wait for stuff to happen. Now, did that put a whitetail bug in you, or are you still Western to the bone? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I like both. I like my Western, you know, September, and then I really, really enjoy going out out east and and chasing whitetail once it gets a little colder. And that just extends my season, too, so... The more bow hunting, the better. Yeah. Now, what kind of were you? Uh, did you run any different as far as your arrow setup or anything like that is? I mean, we could get like Snyder, you know, uh, just nerd <laughs> nerd out about arrow setups and everything like that. But uh, well, did you have any change in, in your setup at all? No, no, no I just yeah. had the same setup. Good for you. Yeah, you don't. You yeah. just something hitting hard, and those suckers are going to drop. You know what I mean? You put it right yeah. in that triangle, you're good. Uh, what are you running? Oh just, yeah. Just uh, you know, just because I put it this way, Dimitri just loves like lives and breeds and like sleeps this stuff, and I, <laughs> I like just hunting in general. And I'm I, not only do I, but I'm I'm also like the gear junkie. So I love uh, anything gear related. And anytime we I have a chance to nerd out with somebody, I I'm going to take that <laughs> opportunity to try to nerd out. So. What, uh, what are you running as far as like your bow setup? And I know we're bouncing around a little bit, but you know, that's the squirrel in me. So that's the, uh, yeah. you know, what, what I, uh, you're, <laughs> you're running a Hoyt bow, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. I'm short, shooting the Hoyt RX three. Okay. Um, I just love that bow. It's, it's amazing. And then my arrow setup. So my arrow setup last year was a little bit different. I had a much heavier arrow, uh, for elk and whitetail. I had it about four. 460 grains and for Hawaii. So this past, the past couple months, I, I decided to lighten that up just a little bit because I knew the shots on the axis here were, it was likely that they were going to be, you know, 60, farther. 65 yards. Yeah. And so I wanted just something a little bit lighter because I knew, well, I don't, I don't know. I well, decided, super, decided they, to go with a little bit lighter yeah, of they, an arrow. They have that extra little muscle twitch that, you know, being hunted by tigers back in the day in India, they're, yeah. they just, they're a little bit more jumpy than, than anything else yes. out there. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, awesome. Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of crazy to see how jumpy they are. Like, cause I've seen how jumpy white tails are and how they will suck your string, but axis are just next level. They are just so quick yeah 
I love it. I, 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 I love listening to anybody that has a podcast or video that has like their story from Hawaii and talk about that just because it just seems like the most <laughs> ultimate, like, like up and down hunt that you could probably have. Like just because you're out there, you're yeah. in paradise, you're on your knees in this red dirt. And then next thing you know, you're on a crap ton of axis deer and you just, man, I, I like, it just seems like you could just shoot it in the middle of them and just like, hope it lands and hits one. One doesn't jump. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Except, except it's not dirt. It's usually lava rocks. Yeah. Like, there you go. Hurt yeah. really bad. So it's funny. Cause I come home from Hawaii and instead of like being all tan and sun kissed, I'm like bruises all over my legs, and scratches. <laughs> Total opposite. <laughs> no, that's, yeah. that's, yep, a- it's, that's that's good stuff dana well all right so you were in nebraska you had a nice buck you took that home uh now now where are we at in the the hunting season for you uh so then i went out to wisconsin and um it was actually a really warm trip out to wisconsin i think it was like 75 degrees every day yeah was that like early november yeah. Yeah. Yep. Early and, November. Yeah, I think the, it was the rut this year was just so such an odd weather. I mean, obviously deer are still going to rut and they're still going to do their thing, but it just, as far as hunting goes, it yeah. just was so weird. <laughs> this is the same for us. Yeah. 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 It was really, it, it was not like the year before, like, because I went there the year before as well. Um, but I didn't see, I think I saw one buck, uh, and it was the same buck that I saw a, a couple different sits just this tiny, tiny buck that I could have shot over and over and kind of wish I would have just so I could have taken <laughs> home something. Yeah. I love but that. yeah, but, but it was just, I, I didn't really have any luck. I didn't really have anything within range on that trip, but, but I learned a lot. So just, just taking it all as learning experience. Heck yeah. And that, that's the thing. Like we took, we went out to Utah last August with our buddy Tim, Dimitri, and I. The three of us went out there. We drove out there from PA, so a nice little twenty-seven hour trek out there, which we had a freaking blast. <laughs> I tell you what, we had so much fun that entire trip, Dana. Oh my gosh, I want to. I can't wait till we do that again. <laughs> but to begin with, we're out there, and you know, so we're e scouting the whole thing. Uh, we had a, a buddy of ours, Weston, who is just a straight assassin. I have no idea how. I mean, that dude, he moved from PA to, uh, where was he? Is he just Salt Lake city? Yeah. He's in Salt Lake in Utah and, uh, just put, put a bull down in, in Utah and Colorado every year for the last couple of years since he's been out there. And this past year was, this past year was the first year he did not do a bull in each state. He got it in Utah, not Colorado, not Colorado. This hit one though, hit one though. Yeah. And then, uh, he uh this he finally he was also like got a mule de- his he, first mule deer in yeah. Utah as well. He I don't think he hunted a mule deer though up until this no, year. Was, I, th- I think it might have been his second year. He might have dabbled the first year but not seriously. Yeah. And he yeah, he's I love him. So, Weston, I'm wow. sure you're listening man cuz he he rocks some <laughs> kafaros. So, shout out to you dude. Can't, we can we have to get you on again soon, brother. But uh he uh yeah, we we he helped us out a little bit with some spots, some areas to look at on the map, and uh, 
shared some waypoints for us and we we went out there and and uh we had a blast i mean it was like you said it was a learning learning experience and uh for dimitri and i it was our first time out there tim's been doing it he's been a killer too he's gotten bulls and and uh mule deer and he has the mule deer bug big time uh, he yeah. just he got his idaho bull back finally from the taxidermist from like two years ago that he shot this thing is just unbelievable uh he solo hunted it too so he's yeah it's it, it's all about that learning experience we learn every single day it seems like we go out there in the whitetail woods even here and like like how you said you know a couple of years in and you're still learning i wanted to be like well we're we're i've we're, been hunting since i was 12 and yeah. i'm still learning every day. <laughs> still learning every day <laughs> still getting our asses yeah. canned yeah. to us well yeah, and I there's think, always something to learn mm -hmm. well i think that's the the hard thing you know for new hunters is coming in is, is to kind of grasp all those learning moments is because you focus so much on trying to be successful out there that sometimes it's kind of hard to take a step back and be like, okay, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? You know, and, and really value the lessons that the, the hunt provided you. You know, a lot of times newer hunters, you know, I didn't get anything or, you know, I only saw a couple does and, and, but, you know, did you step back and see, you know, what, what stands or what the wind was doing? So all those things that you really pick up, the more you hunt. Um, so it's got to, you know, kind of take those lessons as you learn them. And I think some newer hunters lose that aspect. Yeah. And I definitely think it's like, it's romanticized a lot because you don't see what's going into the hunt and all of the work that the people are putting into you know, preparing for the hunt, you just see the, the hero shot, you know, at the end with them smiling. And I'm, I know this was the case for me. Like when I started hunting, I did not know how hard it was. Like I had no idea that it was going to be this hard. And, and I think that's something that a lot of new hunters aren't aware of. And that probably deters a lot of them from getting more serious into it, you know, as, yeah. because they start, they don't see any animals. They're like, Oh, I, I'm not doing anything right. And that kind of gives them a bad taste. And then they just stop doing it. 100%. Uh, I, absolutely. And that's the thing where I think it's really important when you do have like, you're mentoring a, a either a, an older, uh, like an adult hunter or a new hunter, just, you know, if you have someone, you know, like, let's just use the whitetail just for easier explanation. If you like for me and Dimitri, we hunt on mostly public land. And, you know, so at time, like we, we have no control. There's no bean fields. There's no, none of that. But if you know someone that has that and you're just, Hey, I'm, I'm like from, you know, I have a little seven-year-old daughter. Dimitri has two little boys. Uh, you know, if, if Nora really wants to go turkey hunting next year with me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to try to go in, a, in an area where, you know, there's a high population of Turkey or when she starts getting wanting to go deer hunting, like, where could I take her that I could say, Hey, listen, I, I just want to get my daughter to see a lot of deer, you know, just to get yeah. her amped up and excited for that. That's what's really, you know, like you said, it, it's important for them to see that. And we had Jamie, uh, on from the hunter recruitment project a couple weeks ago and when he runs that with the adult hunters, 
he's that's what he tries to do he tries to get these people success like where can we get them on board to see a lot of deer or if they're whatever whatever species they're hunting what could they do to yeah. get you know for those individuals to get the bug and have success and say hey like this is you know this is a, a good lifestyle now now do you think that you know being a new hunter and you've you've dabbled in western hunting and, and you've also had the whitetail scene do you think it's harder to you know try to stay motivated out west where you're you know maybe you're backpacking five six miles possibly eight back in the back country <laughs> and roughing it and then maybe you don't even see an elk or hear an elk and 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 then come back so you're just mental you know physically and mentally fatigued that nothing kind of worked out for you or is, do you think whitetail hunting would be would be harder to stay motivated where you're trying to sit still in a, a tree stand for for hours after hours and not moving getting bored and seeing the same scenery the whole time and maybe seeing it one or two does uh after a couple days and then to stay motivated to try to continue and getting better at whitetail hunting that's that's a really good question i've i've thought a lot about it and I think, I think they're like, you know, Eastern and Western hunting, they're both very difficult in very different ways. Cause you know, any, anybody that can climb into a tree, doesn't matter how heavy they are. Like it could be a very overweight person, you know, they can be a great whitetail hunter, but they come out West. They're not going to be a very good Western hunter because, you know, because like you said, it's, it's a lot more taxing physically. And I think when, you know, it's probably more difficult because it's so taxing physically and, and that really rolls into to taxing your, your mind and right. having the desire to, to wake up early and to get your boots on, get out of the tent. It's cold, it's dark, but you have to do that in order to be successful. And, you know, all of those factors um, added up is really really difficult and I, I experienced a lot of that this last year because we packed in a few miles my pack was way too heavy we had planned on going in more days than than I should have and it really took a toll on me and it it just destroyed my body and to a point where like I didn't even feel like I could go anymore I was like I don't even want to go out of camp because I don't feel like I can get back to camp <laughs> it was like it was really bad what do you do to get past that though? Like I, like for like I coach baseball and right now we're struggling and you know, I, I keep telling them like the other day we were running and I was doing this kind of the running wasn't for punishment. The running was kind of like to push through that mental toughness stage. Like I kept telling, tell, tell that person in your, in your ear to, to man, this sucks to just shut up. I'm like, embrace the suck right now. Like I'm yelling, I'm hooting and hollering. I'm like getting in on it with them and, and the, you know, I'm, I teach high school kids, like I'm teaching what our future is, you know, in the near future, like who are going to be, you know, in the workforce and all this stuff. And I, I, man, it's, it's tough right now. It's really just incur like I, we have a few that I, I would go to battle with. And then there's a few where I, man, they're <laughs> going to just go the, the total opposite way where, when a battle's happening, you know, what did you do to, yeah. to break through those, those walls, those barriers to just say like Dana, let's go like you got this um you know i i think that's kind of one of the things and 
Um, talked about this like on a podcast. I think we talked about it on a podcast with Tim Kennedy. And I kind of think that's something you, you have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something you can develop, but in the, in my experience, it's something, it's just something that people have or they don't have to where me, like I grew up, you know, I, my parents, I worked very hard. I had chores, daily chores. I worked for everything I had. I didn't have anything handed to me and I played sports and I didn't want to take any shortcuts through those sports. I worked as hard as I could every single day. If we, you know, if we were having a competition, I did everything in my power to win that competition. And, and I think it's just kind of a next level that some people have to, to want to keep going and it doesn't matter how bad it hurts, but you, you kind of see that goal and what you're ultimately working towards and you're going to, you're willing to push through anything to get there. Hell yeah. Good for you, Dana. I, more people need to be that way. I'm like, I'm not just saying that to like, it, I, like for real, it's something that I try to explain to my students, explain to my players. It's tough because then they look at me like I got 10 heads. Like this guy has no idea what the hell he's talking about, but uh, it's frustrating. Yeah. I tried to talk about grit and what all that stands for. And, you know, you know, at no other than 10 Tim Kennedy to you know, bring that up. I mean, awesome <laughs> individual friggin' And that was a really good podcast yeah. too, by the way. So, um, yeah, all right. I have two, two, two more, two more. And I have one. I, again, this is just me. I need to nerd out a little bit on, on some gear. All right. I know you, I'm sure you have a crap ton and I, I know where you're going to go with this answer. So, but I, I still, I think I, I hope I know, um, you have someone like, like myself who says, Dana, I calls up Kafaru and, and ask a question. I come out out West maybe once every other year I travel, you know, maybe more so on this Eastern side. Now this isn't like, let's, let's pick a PA person or, you know, an Ohio individual. Uh, I, you know, I dabble with whitetail hunting here on the East coast and I maybe go out West every other year. I'm looking for like the best bang for my buck of Kafaru gear that I can use for, for both. What, where are you, what direction are you going with? Uh, where, where are you telling them to, to go here for, for Kafaru? Uh, so, I mean, it, it depends. It's if, if you primarily do tree stand hunting where you're not, uh, carrying a set in, mm-hmm. I definitely prefer the shape charge. Yep. But if you know, if you want something that will handle both applications, you know, the eastern and the western, the Striker XL for sure. Hell yeah, <laughs> that thing is. Listen, <laughs> I had so I had the Striker, the first version, and that's what I used all this past year. And my only gripe was, man, I wish this sucker had like water bottle side, you know, pockets. Uh, yeah. What I didn't even care if it if it was bigger or not. Like honestly, that did not bother <laughs> me whatsoever. Uh, but to have it and being that it really couldn't really tell the difference. Like, all right, put it this way: yes, you could tell the difference when you when you break down, you know, your cubic inches. But like, just by the sure look of it, it doesn't look bigger. So you add in those side pockets. I have I had to order one. I had to get that one. And yeah. um, uh, the way. So like, can I just give you like what, how I do mine? Like, just so that way you could be like, Hey, yeah, that works. Yeah. All right. It's cool. So yeah. I go with my, 
I have my, so I, I saddle hunt, so I don't even tree stand. So I go in the saddle. So I put my saddle platform and my saddle into the, like the frame part. And what's the correct terms just so that way I use it. Is it or is that okay to say the frame aspect of it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, and then on the yeah, out, like the shelf area. Yeah, the shelf area. There we go. See, that's why, that's why you make the big bucks. <laughs> so, uh, it's on the shelf. Oh no. <laughs> it it's on the shelf. Uh, that's where the, like so I have my platform and my saddle, and then maybe like a some outerwear jacket that is shoved in the shelf aspect. On the outside, I have then my sticks strapped in. And in the inside of the pack, I have my camera gear. So all everything is perfect. Everything is placed. And then I have two. I, I actually still run two pockets on the outside on the front that has like mm-hmm. my camera base and maybe some uh, like my grunt tube and just accessories for for hunting. And I had zero, yeah. zero, zero issues with it. Like I said, the only thing that I wish it had originally was the water bottle pocket just for like a tripod or um, like if I'm just filming Dimitri or something like that, just like kind of like the filming gear side of things. I'm like, oh man, that would be perfect. Uh, But now with the XL, I think you just nailed it. And I ordered a camp bag because now if you want to take over from here, why you would use the striker XL for Western and Eastern. Yeah. So, you know, with the addition of that camp bag, that's where you would throw camp, your tent, sleeping bag, extra layers, food, anything like that. And if you're out here, uh, hiking in a few miles, you, you know, you get to where you're setting up your spike camp, take out that camp bag, drop that. And then you've got just your striker just the, the striker XL, just the pack. Yep. And then you go out with that for days and it's, it's perfect. Awesome. Yeah. So the, the last thing that I want to bring up, uh, on this podcast is, is, is one, uh, w- the first part of the question is going to be, why did you want to get into the hunting industry? You know, what made you kind of take that first job with Kafaru? And then secondly, you know, you, you work in an industry that it was always very male dominant and then has always been, you know, what's it like being a woman working in the hunting industry now? Um, I'm not really sure what made me want to get into it. Um, I really, I just was having a conversation with Frank one day and he said, Hey, come out here and work for us. And two and a half weeks later I moved here. So it was kind of a leap of faith. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, it was a cool company. It's something I really enjoyed doing. It's, I've always enjoyed the outdoors. I was just never so much into the hunting thing, but it kind of was just, just something new. And I knew I would regret it if I didn't act on it. And I mean, it was hard. It was really hard in the beginning, but uh, it was, I mean, best decision I ever made. And, and it is a little bit difficult being a woman in a male dominated field, just because not a lot of people will take a woman seriously. And, you know, I've had multiple interactions with customers though. They would call in and talk to me and then uh, they would call in and, say they needed to talk to somebody else and until they reached a male and, and it it was very satisfying. I had one guy come in and, and he, he kind of pulled me aside and said, 
I had a friend that told me to come in and, and talk to you because the blonde girl knew what to do, <laughs> what to tell me. That's awesome. <laughs> and, and so that was really great. But, and, you know, I think we've, um, I, I want to be like, I don't want to be just another huntress in the industry, you know, like I'm taking the time to learn. I'm, I'm learning, you know, about my equipment and, and I, I'm trying to, to be more of a respectful presence and, you know, trying to be out there and doing it, not just kind of faking it and putting it yeah. on for a show. So I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm really just trying to be genuine and, you know, if I don't know something, I'll tell somebody I don't know something. And I, I, I just want to be genuine. Awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I, I think, you know, women are really growing in the industry and in sport, which is great. Cause you know, you see people with their daughters or their wives or their girlfriends and they're, you know, again, you know, they don't have to be hunters, you know, maybe they just like shooting their bows or going out in the backyard or, you know, going for hikes or scouting for deer. And, uh, you know, which I think is great, which, which I think, you know, I mean, even when I was growing up or, you know, probably 30 to 50 years ago, that wasn't even really a thing or even thought of, which I think it's really changing. Um, I think it's going to continue yeah. to grow, which it, which it needs to, um, you know, and, and you think about it and Jeremy and I has talked about this, you know, no matter if you're talking about the business world or the hunting industry or, you know, the medical field, you know, whatever you're talking about, there's going to be people that are doing it for the wrong reasons. Right. So you can't really single one, you know, aspect of it, of, of, of people. And I think that's too a a problem. And that goes a long way with, with social media and we could dive into a whole nother hour podcast (laughs) into that. But, you know, I think you get what I'm talking about and, and that's the hard part. And then I think, you know, for, for women, especially, um, like yourself is like how you said, you don't want to be this, you know, big presence, but you want to do it for the right reasons and, and, and just kind of, uh, grow, grow with the sport that, that you've kind of learned to love and, and really, uh, respect. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely want to be like, I want to be a resource for other women who, aren't sure where to start. Like when I was getting into it, I had nobody to show me the ropes. Like I had a lot of friends who had husbands or boyfriends or, or someone there to, to kind of help them get into the, the whole hunting thing. And I didn't have that. And so, and it, it was hard for me to find people that, that were willing to, you know, bring me along on a hunt because as a young single girl, like, if a, if a guy, like I had friends that are married, they're like, there's no way that my wife would let me take you out hunting because it, there's just no way. And so I've had a lot, I've experienced that a lot and hmm. just situations like that where uh, it, it's been hard to find resources to, to be able to learn yeah. in, in some of those instances. Well, no, I, you know, not to sound whatever, but I, I, I think you could tell kind of going off of the whole like when you see a kafaru pack in or any kind of kafaru product in person how i said it's just different you know you could see that in what you're representing like what you said how you want to be represented as or looked at as like you could tell that's what it is it's not it's not faked so you keep doing what you're doing dana and uh you know, I, I think, uh, more great things are on the horizon for you. And it, it's been an honor to have you on. And 
uh, looking forward to meeting you here in the next month, exactly <laughs> in Seven Springs. So yeah. hopefully, <laughs> I don't break fifteen arrows on the <laughs> Iron Rhino. So uh, that's the plan. Well, Dana, where could people uh, look you up, find you, and you know all that type of stuff? Uh, so Instagram's probably where I'm most active. Uh, just Dana underscore Monroe, and then. Uh, Facebook, I'm on there too. And then Kafaru underscore INTL is, I run that page also. So awesome. I'm all over the place. Good stuff. Well, everybody go follow Dana and make sure you go check out Kafaru if you haven't done so already. Uh, if you've been living under a rock for the past couple of years, check it out. It's great stuff. <laughs> uh, Dana, thank you so much. Till next time, everybody, yeah. Antler up. Thanks again, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And uh, check out Dana with Kafaro International. Check out Kafaro's gear. It's the best stuff that I've owned. Love it. And check out antlerupoutdoors.com. Subscribe to our YouTube. Check us out here, our Instagram, everywhere that you uh, see fit, Facebook, all that jazz. More importantly, thank you so much for all your continued support. Till next time, Antler Up. <laughs>